0: with us today. We're going to uh, be looking at Acts chapter 15 today. So if you would turn in your Bibles to Acts 15, verses 36 through 41, the end of that great chapter, I think it's appropriate. The 15th chapter of the book of Acts, starting in verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we pro- proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with him John, called Mark, but Paul thought best And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Let's pray. Father, we join together in prayer this morning, crying out to you because we need you. With your word open in front of us because we need wisdom from your word. And we rejoice that we have your spirit within us. We need strengthening, we need conviction, we need help, we need healing. And we are grateful that we get to come into your presence because of Jesus, your Son, who has opened the way for us, that we get to be in Christ and therefore called your sons by faith. This morning as we turn to this passage and look at a very difficult time in the history of the early church, a very difficult time in the life of one of our heroes in the faith, we ask that you would help us glean wisdom for our own situation. Help us to hear from your Word today. Speak to our lives, we pray, even from your Word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Dale, I will likely forget to um, remind everyone that we're going to be in front, so if I do, you remind me. All right, thank you. I want to look through this passage and uh, work through it relatively quickly. We preached through the book of Acts a number of years ago, and I went back and looked at the notes and uh, didn't say more than about three sentences on uh, this because we were looking at the larger section, and I think it's important for us to look at this passage today, and in order to Kind of understand where we are, we need to get back up to speed uh, we've not been in the book of Acts, and so uh, Paul and Barnabas had gone on their great missionary journey and they had they had traveled through Cyprus and they had gone up north into Turkey and traveled through there and then they came back and returned and uh, reported to antioch and and uh, then, uh, after they had gotten back into antioch and and uh, and were there, there was a report uh, there was a a teaching that was entering the church that we're familiar with from the book of Galatians, a very similar doctrine where you had those who were teaching that Gentiles had to be circumcised in order to uh, truly be saved. They had to come under the, uh, the Mosaic law, particularly the uh, the aspects of the ceremonial law of the Mosaic law in order to be saved. And this, of course, was a big problem in the church, and if you've read the letter to the Galatians from Paul, you know that Paul took it very seriously. Well, uh, the early church took it seriously as well, and you have early on in Acts chapter 15 this big um, council of, uh, of church leaders, uh, the apostles and elders and whatnot held there in Jerusalem, the Jerusalem council, and they discussed this. They discussed what it meant, what God had done in, in, uh, in opening the door to the Gentiles, etc., and they composed this letter that was to be sent out to all the churches instructing them that we don't need to lay this kind of heavy burden, that that would be unbiblical to require circumcision, etc., of Gentiles. It would be unbiblical to require Gentiles to begin to obey the law of Moses in order to be saved, and this letter was to be sent to all the churches. And so it's in that context where uh, we have uh, what we find here in our passage today. And, and so they've, Paul and Barnabas have gone on their first missionary journey, and, and we have read about uh, if you read the book of Acts, you've read about what they've gone through and the, all the churches that have been planted and the different places they've, uh, they've traveled and preached the gospel, the different ways they were received, sometimes wondrously, and uh, sometimes uh, being stoned and run out of town, etc. And now, after all that's gone on, they've been back in Antioch after some days, uh, verse 36 there, after some days, Paul uh, said to Barnabas, "'Let us return and visit the brothers in every city.'" where we proclaim the Word of the Lord and see how they are. He wanted to go back. These were his children in the faith. These are the ones that uh, Paul and Barnabas had preached the gospel to. Uh, Churches had been planted in those areas, and naturally he would want to go back and, and check on them, want to see how they're doing. And particularly now, in light of what was happening earlier in Acts chapter 15, they've got this letter that would be important for the Gentiles to receive as well as the Jews. And so, Uh, They had motivation to go back, and Paul has this idea. That's what uh, they want to do, is to return. Now, verse 37, Barnabas wanted to take with him John, called Mark. So they're uh, deciding on this trip they're going to uh, return, and so how shall we do that? Um, Whom shall we take, etc.? And uh, Barnabas wants to take Mark. John Mark, sometimes he's called John, sometimes John Mark or Mark, same man. And uh, why is that significant? Why is he significant? If you flip back to Acts chapter 13 and verse 13, while they had just started out on their first missionary journey, they had traveled uh, from Antioch to Cyprus, they had traveled through Cyprus and ministered there, and they sailed from Paphos, which is a city in Cyprus, and uh, and traveled up into towards Turkey or Asia Minor there. Verse 13, now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. So they arrive in Asia Minor there, Pamphylia and Perga. And John, that is John Mark, left them and returned to Jerusalem. Seems like a throwaway line almost. Just uh, something mentioned in passing. But this is the same man that is being discussed here at the end of chapter 15. And Barnabas wants to take him along. We read elsewhere that that actually Barnabas and, and Mark were cousins. So they were were relatives, uh, and that may have been part of the motivation. Uh, Also may have been part of the motivation for Barnabas that he was the son of encouragement. He um, wanted, it seems, to minister to Mark in his brokenness. He wanted to go back to this man who had failed previously, who had bailed on the mission, go back to him and give him another shot, minister to him, take him along and help him to succeed. That seems like something Barnabas would want to do. If you remember earlier, uh, Barnabas had been an encouragement to Paul as well. This is what Barnabas was like. This was his character. And so he's, he's related to Mark, and he has a desire to uh, help Mark and to minister to Mark, taking him along as a co-worker in this project. So Barnabas wanted uh, to take John called Mark. But verse 38, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not not gone with them to the work. Paul thinks differently about it. Paul is thinking about the mission. He's thinking about the success of the mission and wondering, actually deciding that it would be unwise to take one who had, had already bailed once. What if he bails again? Doesn't he endanger the mission? And Isn't the mission very important? After all, we are taking the gospel Uh, to a dying world. We are going back to these churches that are young and struggling and suffering. We want to see how they are and we don't want to take along one who has already uh, failed in the attempt. So they look at the, the opportunity very differently between the two of them. Barnabas wants to show compassion and rightly so. After all, we all have failed. We all don't deserve a second chance, but it is wonderful when we get one. And Barnabas wanted to give a second chance, it seems, to young Mark who had failed on the previous attempt. And rightly so. You could see things from Barnabas's perspective. And Paul, on the other hand, was thinking differently. He was thinking about the overall picture of what was going to happen on this mission. He remembered that previously on his first missionary journey, he had been stoned. He had been run out of town. There was a time when they tried to worship him as a god. There are real temptations and real dangers and real difficulties involved in missionary work. And in Paul's estimation, it wouldn't be worth it to take Mark along. He might crumble under that pressure like he did before. You can see where Paul's coming from. He's not wrong. The difficulty is that they, the two of them, see things so differently that Barnabas was unwilling to go without Mark. From Barnabas' perspective, it seems like if Mark's not going, I'm not going. The trip's not going to happen. We're not going to do this journey. The mission fails from the outset if Mark doesn't go he doesn't go, I don't go. Barnabas was unwilling to go without Mark, and Paul was unwilling to go with Mark. If we're taking Mark along, I'm not going. Is Paul's position. And you can see how each one has his reasons for his position. You can see how there is wisdom in each spot, from each position. But one is unwilling to go with Mark. One is unwilling to go without Mark. So they're at an impasse. What are they to do? Well, that's the simple crisis. I forgot to say that earlier. It seems like a simple crisis. Do we take Mark or not? You know, you and I could probably haggle that through in, in no time and, and, and come up with a solution to that. But with the, the principles that they had and the understanding of the situation, and, and they being the ones who, uh, who were in the fray, in their opinion, they were at an impasse. It's a simple crisis, but it's a crisis. And it gives rise to a sharp conflict, point number two. Verse 39, the beginning of it, there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. When we taught through the book of Acts, We saw that the church was moving forward in glorious ways. The gospel was going to new areas. It seemed like the Spirit of God was at work in in wonderful ways within the church, and the the, the cause of the gospel was advancing gloriously. And then you remember Ananias and Sapphira. What a tragedy. The church was, was going great guns, and then you've got this This couple that sold a piece of property, just like a lot of people were doing, to help the poor, but when they sold the piece of property, they lied about the price they had sold it for when they gave the money to the elders to dispense or to the apostles to dispense. It was their property. They could have sold it for a million dollars and said, We're going to give $250,000 to the needy. That's legitimate. That's wonderful. But instead, they lied about the price they sold it for as if they were giving a larger portion or, uh, or the entirety of what they sold it for to the cause of the gospel. That was the problem. And what happened to Ananias and Sapphira? They lost their lives over it. So what was so wonderful, and there was, there was, things were going wonderfully in the early church, and, and, uh, and God was doing miracles, and, and the church was spreading, and the gospel was going, and there's this tragedy And then you remember how persecution arose, uh, even to the point of Stephen himself, who is a pillar of the church, a, a godly, powerful, spirit filled preacher, worker of miracles, servant. Stephen is arrested and killed. What a tragedy. What a tragedy in the early church. And then we go along and we see the missionary journey of Paul. There are other bumps along the road and things like that, but you see the missionary journey of Paul. You see the gospel advancing. You see the struggles that Paul and Barnabas have to deal with and all of that. Well, now we're about to start round two of that. And you think, where are they going to go now? What wonderful things are they going to do now? I mean, the the, the first trip was amazing. What's going to happen in the second trip? This is going to be great. And at the outset, another tragedy. The two driving forces, these two men of God, can't agree. One saying, I'm not going if Mark's going, and the other saying, if Mark doesn't go, I'm not going. And so, verse 39, there arose a sharp disagreement between them. This word, the Greek word translated here in uh, the ESV as sharp disagreement, is probably translated in your Bible much the same, sharp contention perhaps sharp disagreement it's a word that can be used in uh, in some different ways but here the translators pick a simple translation they don't give it they don't give it a ton of embellishment and i wonder how you heard it when you read those words i wonder how you translated that in your mind I, I tend to do this when I read Scripture and, and, uh, or when I'm thinking about something is I, I, I put it in my own language, the way I see it. And sometimes, um, sometimes that's very, very helpful and we ought to do that. But I, I wonder how you translated that in your own mind when it said there was a sharp contention or a, a sharp disagreement. How did you translate that in your mind? Did you... Did you, did you translate that or if you were to tell this story to your children or if you were to talk about this, uh, this passage to someone else, would you translate that as they had a falling out? Is that how you translate that in your mind or perhaps you translate it as they started squabbling? Those are the kind of translations that really stick in your mind. Maybe you translated it as they couldn't get along. How did you translate it? Because most likely, every one of us translated it as something. We want to know this sharp contention, this sharp disagreement. What was the nature of it? And we translate it a particular way in our minds. But the problem is all of those uh, translations, all of those internal translations and, uh, that, that I read there, they all recast the situation in in the way we understand it. That each of the ways I presented there seems to carry with it some kind of personal sinfulness or pettiness or ulterior motive or something within the men must have been the root of all of this. So I wonder how you translated it. And if... Sin or pettiness is the cause, then clearly what happens between Paul and Barnabas is a terrible disaster, a disaster not entirely unlike the disaster of Ananias and Sapphira and they're, by their sin lying to the Holy Spirit and losing their lives. It was their sin that was the cause of the disaster. If we, if we translate uh, this phrase, sharp contention or sharp, sharp disagreement, if we assign a sinful motive or a sinful route to it, then this situation here is a terrible disaster along the lines of Ananias and Sapphira. That this dynamic duo, these missionaries of colossal stature, allowed sin to enter the picture and destroy their team. What a disaster. And all of those conclusions are natural if the problem is just that Paul and Barnabas couldn't get along. So I wonder how you translated it. And this is where it is very important to let the text speak for itself and to be careful in putting it into our own words so we can see what is really there. The text says, there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. It's bland language. It doesn't develop for us their motives. It doesn't say they started squabbling. It doesn't, it doesn't give us a whole lot to it. We've looked at the root of the crisis or the, the point, the crux of the crisis there arose a sharp disagreement about how best they should do ministry. From Barnabas's perspective, it's crucial that we take Mark along. And I'm imagining, it doesn't say, I'm imagining that part of his motivation was, first of all, because he was an encourager, and he wanted to see this young man encouraged in the Lord, and no longer walking around with his tail between his legs because he came home early from Paul's famous missionary journey. For Barnabas, that was crucial. We need to invest in this young man. We need to strengthen this young man. We need to minister to this young man. For Paul, the view was different. Paul was looking at the larger Mission. He was looking at the larger work of God, and he was thinking if we have a weak link in our team, one who has already proven that he can turn tail and run, isn't it going to endanger the mission? They had very different perspectives on how they ought to proceed in their ministry, what ought to be the primary thrust. And since they had such sharp disagreement on that, they could not continue together. Their two aims were so different that they both could not be pursued at the same time by the same group. So they separated to pursue them. When we read sharp disagreement, we need not to import too much into it. We translate that in our own minds and we must be careful. One scholar has said a strong disagreement is a vastly different thing between friends and co-laborers than a personal falling out. The differences, the scholar goes on, between these two giants of the faith were not rooted in pride, personal ambition, or offended feelings. They were rooted in different spiritual gifts, outlook and calling so let's translate sharp disagreement as sharp disagreement and not try to put our own reading on top of it and be wary of doing so so we have a a simple crisis we have a sharp conflict with surprising consequences thirdly they separate from each other In the end of verse 39, Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. So you see what Barnabas' path is. In his mind, it's very important. It is vital that we minister to young Mark. Here is a potential missionary. Here's a servant of Christ. Here's someone else that we can take along with us, a co-worker. Let's invest in him, and here's how we're going to do it. Here's how I'm going to do it, says Barnabas. And they go back to Cyprus just like they had gone to Cyprus in the first place as if retracing the same steps, as if taking, uh, taking Mark back to that place where his knees went weak the first time and walking him through it. He's going back to minister. And so Barnabas takes Mark, and he goes and he sails away to Cyprus. But Paul, verse 40, chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of God. Of the Lord, so Paul, on the other hand, takes Silas along with him. That name will become more and more familiar as you read through the Book of Acts, as you read through Paul's letters. Silas was his was his companion for many of those. He was in jail with him. He went through ministry of incredible highs and terrible lows. Went with him together. They were excellent companions. Excellent missionaries together, excellent ministers together. Barnabas takes Mark, begins to retrace his steps. Paul takes Silas, goes to visit the churches starting in Syria and Cilicia. Verse 41, he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches there, which, by the way, is heading towards Galatia. And if you remember the controversy that had arisen out of Galatia, that will arise out of Galatia, that gave rise to the book of Galatians where Paul addresses that, It's tough territory. And so Paul and Silas go in to face those great difficulties. Barnabas takes Mark with him and they begin to retrace familiar territory. There are two teams instead of one. And they're able to minister in unique ways because there are two teams instead of one. When our family went to Russia in 2007, we were there until 2010, we were with an organization called East-West Ministries, and it had been born out of another ministry. Back in the Cold War days, there was an organization that arose called BEE, Biblical Education by Extension. You see, you couldn't hardly get in through the Iron Curtain in those days. In In the early days, I don't remember what years, maybe the 60s, 70s, I don't remember when BEE was started, but what they, the way they uh, wanted to take the gospel behind the Iron Curtain to places where it was very difficult for a person to go was they would write out curriculum and mail it. And you remember, many of you remember uh, mail-in Bible studies where uh, you fill out the Bible study and you mail it into the organization, they send you another one, you fill it out. It was that kind of thing. It was training. It was biblical education by extension. They could get behind the Iron Curtain because they were mailing in uh, uh, sheaves of paper and, and things like that. And so they were training pastors, and they were training Christians, and they were even doing evangelism and things like that behind the Iron Curtain, doing so from the states as they were mailing all their documents back and forth. That was the, that was the business plan, as it were. That was the model of their ministry. Well, then something happened, and the curtain fell. And a group of people were Within the BEE organization, they, they thought, this is our chance. We have been praying for this. Here's what we do. We need to begin to send missionaries in a traditional sense to those places that were behind the Iron Curtain just just months before. Let's, let's become a, a missionary-mobilizing society that we can send actual missionaries into those places. Well, the people from BEE, the, there were... There were portions who said, look, we're, we're set up to do training by, by means of literature. We, we write curriculum. We mail these things out. We've got an extensive network. We've got a uh, fully de- developed uh, curricula of all different levels and, and things like that, all the way up to training pastors and, and, and from, you know, to, to evangelism and, and everything in between. Why would we stop doing that? Why would, we, why would we put that away and begin to focus on something new that we've never done before? sending missionaries into these difficult places. So what happened? The leaders from BEE and those who wanted to be uh, sending missionaries, they had a sharp disagreement. What was the character of it? I don't know. But we had two strongly competing philosophies of ministry. One is we go in person because we can now. We, We need to do that. And the other one was that we need to continue to focus on our curriculum and mailing and things like that and not have to reinvent the wheel over here on this new thing and thus hinder this ministry, etc. So we had one organization that, that viewed it one way and another, another portion within that organization that viewed it another way. So they came to a place where they realized they had a sharp disagreement. And so a number of people left. BEE and formed East-West Ministries to become a mission, missionary-sending organization. And years later, the Beheimer family would go with East-West Ministries to Russia. That's a little bit like what we see happening in this passage. I think perhaps we read this and we retranslate those words, sharp disagreement, and it colors how we understand the whole passage. I want to make some observations, and then we'll get to application. And these observations and these applications are instructive for our situation. First, God brings good even out of conflict and even separation. There were two missionary teams taking the gospel to the nations, not just one. And they went different directions. And they focused on different soil, on different fields. And if you think about it, these two veteran missionaries now trained up their replacements, as it were. They trained up a second So that Mark was receiving training where, with Paul, he wouldn't have. And Silas was receiving training where he wouldn't have had Mark and Barnabas and Paul traveled together. So you see, uh, actually, multiplication happened from this. and This wasn't their plan. This wasn't what they thought up. This wasn't how they wanted to train new leaders. But it is something that God did. And I take comfort from that. Secondly, the separation that we do see here between Paul and Mark particularly is not the end of the story. When you read these verses, it seems like Paul and Mark are opposite ends of the spectrum and they are done for in their relationship. But that's not the end of the story. In fact, Paul will later on in Philemon 24, he will refer to Mark as a fellow worker, I would be very happy if Paul referred to me as a fellow worker. Quite an honor. And later in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 11, Paul will say this, Get Mark, speaking to Timothy, Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is, a ver- he is very useful to me for ministry. You see the redemption of the relationship? You see how years later, even after all this difficulty, Paul, who was so hard on Mark it seems like, He took a hard line on Mark in Acts chapter 15. Later on, he will say, oh, bring him to me. I need him. He is so useful to me for ministry. The breach was temporary. And in the working of God over time, their relationship was restored and even strengthened beyond what it had ever been before. We don't know what the Lord will do long term, but in this case, That separation was a breach that was later healed. Thirdly, as important as staying together is for the elder board, and it has been important, we have agonized and labored and prayed and wept for months and years. As important as staying together is for the elder board, there are some things that are more important For Paul, one thing more important than staying together with Barnabas was the mission. For Barnabas, one thing more important than staying together with Paul was the opportunity for personal ministry to mark. For church elders, one thing more important than staying together at all costs is being able to agree on what spiritual food is to be given to Christ's sheep. The resurrected Jesus commanded Peter in John chapter 21. He said, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. When the Apostle Paul instructed the young pastor Timothy about how he was to conduct his ministry, this is what he told him in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. How important is what is fed to the sheep? It's not always comfortable, but it is right for the elders to give this kind of weight to certain doctrinal differences. It has to do with what we feed the sheep. Paul said always to keep a watchful eye on ourselves and on our teaching because our spiritual health and your spiritual health are at stake. It's important. Keeping the elder board together as it stands has been very important to us, and that's why we've invested all of these months and all of that work and all of that pain and prayer and struggle to do so, to keep it together. But we recognize and and I want you to recognize that it is not the most important thing. Agreement on how and what to feed the sheep is an even higher priority. That's a burden elders bear. So much for observations or implications. Let's look at application First of all, don't be fearful of disagreement or even separation. Don't let it make you afraid. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And sometimes he uses situations like that of Paul and Barnabas to accomplish that purpose. Even situations like ours. And quite honestly, one benefit that I've already seen in this situation, and other elders have made the same comment, families have gotten together with their Bible open to try to understand what we're talking about, to try to understand God's Word. They've begun to discuss these matters that we understand are important, and they're asking the same questions of themselves. Families who wouldn't normally perhaps have their Bible open, do. People who wouldn't normally come to the elders with questions about theology or about understanding Scripture or about how this or that applies to my life or why does this matter or does this matter, those kind of questions which elders thrive on, they have come out of the woodwork. And so... Amidst the pain and amidst the confusion and the, and the difficulty, I, I can see a glimmer of God working in the hearts of His people. So don't be fearful of this disagreement. Secondly, whatever may come, continue to serve the Lord like Paul and Silas and Barnabas and Mark. They had this sharp disagreement. There was great difficulty in making this decision, I'm sure. And they went and they ministered. They continued to serve. So, whatever befalls us, whatever changes happen, and we are in prayer about those changes. We are trusting the Lord. We are seeking wisdom. That's why we have asked you for your feedback and we, we are consulting your feedback, needing, needing that feedback. As we seek how to honor the Lord in this, may we be reminded that whatever shakes out, each one of us can serve the Lord and ought to do so in different ways, in different circles. So continue to serve the Lord, whatever may come. Next, let's be like the church at Antioch and commend one another to the grace of the Lord. I kind of passed by this. Verse 39, sharp agreement, they separated. The second half of the verse, Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. The brothers there meaning the church. They were each commissioned. They were each sent. They each went with the blessing of the church, the blessing of their own elders, the same elders probably, or many of the same, who had initially laid hands on them back when they first became missionaries those elders looking at the situation, that church, the brothers looking at this situation. I don't know how much they were involved in it, but the result was that they commended those teams to the Lord and sent them. So let us be like the church at Antioch and commend one another to the grace of the Lord. Finally, Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. Not be anxious about anything, Paul says in Philippians 4, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So, don't be anxious. Trust the Lord. Take everything to Him in prayer and supplication, giving thanks as you do, because we have much to be thankful for. And that way we make our requests known to God. And one of the beautiful aspects of prayer is that we are recognizing we have so little power, we have so little insight about what ought to be done so often. We are short-sighted. We are tiny. And when we pray, we are recognizing that God is almighty. And He sees all things and He has the power to accomplish good. And He says He does that for His children. I'm reminded when I go to the Lord in prayer that Jesus said, I will build my church. And nothing... And no one will stop Him. When I refuse to go to the Lord in prayer, when I, when I put it off, when I, when, I, when I don't do it for one reason or another, I tend to, it's as if the ceiling closes in and I can't see above the ceiling and all I see is this. We have a nice high ceiling, but I need to see a whole lot higher than that and so do you. When we go to the Lord in prayer, it's like the ceiling opens up and we're reminded that God Almighty is in charge of all things and I get to talk to Him. I get to bring my request to Him. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So don't be anxious. Christian, what peace we have in Jesus. Even in the face of the unknown, in the face of uncertainty, What peace we have in Jesus. He has given His life a ransom for all. And in Him, we have hope, we have life, and we have peace that surpasses understanding. As we walk through this situation and as we go to prayer together in a few moments down here, remember that. Be comforted by that. Don't be anxious. Don't be fearful. Trust the Lord. Continue to serve Him and commend one another to the grace of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we are indeed small, short-sighted, limited power, not to mention the sin we have to deal with. And so we bring our church to you. And we ask that you would be at work here at Parkside. We ask that you would give leadership wisdom. We ask that you would give folks in the congregation wisdom. We ask that you would shape our hearts and our minds and our thinking, according to Scripture, that we would value what you value, that we would love what you love, that we would stand for what you would have us stand for. Help us to think biblically on this. We pray that your Spirit would work in our hearts to strengthen us, to be convicted by what we see in Scripture, and to empower us to do it. Father, we get to call you, Father, rather than distant Lord and Judge, because of Jesus. And we are grateful. Grateful that our sin has been placed on Him. And He has borne it to the full. that our righteousness is not our own. The righteousness on our account is the righteousness of Jesus himself who always obeyed you, even to the point of death. Those things are ours by faith. And so we take great comfort and we find great peace in looking to Jesus, our Savior. And we as a church find great comfort and great peace and great hope in looking to Jesus, the head of the church, His body. Bless us and help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. There's going to be, after our prayer time, uh, Dale volunteered himself and his wife to be here as long as you like. So come on up and pray with them. Uh, we are going to join together. I would encourage the elders to be there. We need prayer. And uh, just a reminder, there will be no evening service tonight, but there will be uh, our meeting where we come back together on Wednesday night at 7 p.m. right in here. So I would encourage you for that. I want to part with these words. Paul, speaking to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, knowing he would never see them again, said this, Now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. God bless you all, and you're dismissed.